Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise God. If you have your Bibles this morning and will join me in the book of 1 Kings 21, I'm going to read a few more verses than I perhaps would do normally. Um, it's a familiar story to some, but for, for those who may not know, I want to read just a little bit of this, gather a snapshot, and then we will move forward from there. The book of First Kings chapter 21, in verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, the king of Samaria, that simply means it was near unto the palace of, the, of Ahab. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it, or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. But Naboth said unto Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab, now this is Ahab the king, just remember this. And so he does some things right here that doesn't seem too kingly. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab the king laid himself down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. Ahab went home and pouted. Yeah. Amen. Doesn't seem very kingly, does it? But Jezebel, now she's another story. Jezebel's a book of her own, completely different chapter. Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said, said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad? that thou eatest no bread. And he said unto her, because I spake unto Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said unto him, give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. So listen to, Je to Jezebel's response. His wife said unto him, Jezebel, his wife said unto him, dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Aren't you the king? Arise, eat bread. And let thy heart be merry. And listen, I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. There is so much to be said here this morning. I'm not going to try to exhaust every little syllable of this story. But for one thing, if we could just settle it out of the gate, that Naboth, it was illegal for him to give his land. It wasn't his land, it was God's land. And Ahab knew this, and Jezebel knew this. But she said, in this downtrodden state of her husband, she said, you get up and eat bread and make your heart merry, 
and I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And so this morning, my sermon is simply a question that I would ask all of us today. Which voice will you hear? Will we hear the voice of God that underlines irrevocably his word, his commandments? Or are we going to listen to somebody like Jezebel that says, you just do whatever you need to do. You wash your face and get up and eat and make yourself merry. I'll take care of this. Which voice will you hear? God bless you and you can be seated. Naboth had a vineyard, the Bible says, and here's this unfolding story of Ahab offering to buy it. And Ahab, certainly, if we want to look at this in a very pragmatic sense, was being fair in all of his approaches to this. He saw its value, not only its monetary value, but it was, he, he saw where it was, the, the geographic place, the geographic location, rather. One of the terms they use in real estate, real estate is location, location, location. And so this was not about just a piece of dirt, and this was really not about an herb garden. This was about location, location, location. Amen. But what, what Ahab failed to realize somehow in his blinding thirst for more was that this had been uh, an inheritance. This was something that was passed from one generation to another. It was a legacy. It was something that belonged to him. At first glance, we could read this story and just kind of draw a conclusion that this is a story about a man and his vineyard. However, I believe that beneath this storyline is a much more sinister thing that is going on under the surface. This is really a story about a man who listened to the wrong voice in his life. I don't know how many people through the years that I have met that have been victimized by the wrong voice are the wrong influence. There are many people, if we just want to think about those that are incarcerated today, who were, for all intent and purposes, perhaps um, far more innocent of a crime that has been committed, but they were found nonetheless guilty because of their association. They were guilty by association. Some of them, it could really be said, the wrong place the wrong time. They, they, in a moment of indecision, a moment of poor decision, they lent themselves to the power of the wrong voice. Amen, the power of the wrong voice. Naboth was a man, was the man that Ahab should have protected, really. Amen, but sadly, in the end, Naboth killed him. And so, I think it could be said today, we can pull this story from its Old Testament confines, and we could pull this story right straight into the center, into the heart of this very service today. Amen. Because when you sell yourself to do evil, you call evil good and good evil. When you sell yourself to do evil, you call light darkness and you call darkness light. This infamous episode of Naboth's vineyard reveals two things. It reveals, number one, the lawlessness of King Ahab. And it reveals the evil, the resident evil of his wife, Jezebel. Consider the sins they committed. Consider, if you will, consequently, the commandments of God that they disobeyed. 
the first two commandments declare that there is one God. Amen. The first two commandments declare that the Lord is the only true God and that true worshipers must not worship or serve other gods. It's very fundamental. We're right here at the threshold of the Ten Commandments. We're right here at the threshold of right and wrong. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Whether this is things in God's creation or things that people just make unto themselves, we are to have no other God besides Jehovah. Jezebel and Ahab proved to be this dynamic duo that was so powerfully used by the enemy. They were the Old Testament Bonnie and Clyde, if you will forgive my example. They were just the Old Testament people that were just not good. They were not a good combination whatsoever. Jezebel and Ahab proved that at the end of their life and at the end of their, uh, of their mentality that death and life meant nothing to them. Jezebel brought Baal worship into Israel. She was bringing in things that should have never been there. And the horrible part is that Ahab permitted it not only to come, but Ahab permitted it to spread. And see, when you turn away from truth, it's evidence, amen, that you believe a lie. you got to believe something. We're going to believe the truth or we're going to believe a lie. However, there's always another step. Amen, there's one thing to believe a lie but the next step is that you start loving a lie and before long you're controlled by the lie truth is imperative and we need the truth we need the truth of God's word we just need the truth the Bible talks about the liberating power of the truth the truth has the ability to set us free I've said it so many, many times through the years, but in the courts of our nation, one of the first things they ask for is the truth. If you would just tell the truth, amen, can we imagine how streamlined the process would be if somebody would just tell the truth? Powerful people. We think about Jezebel and Ahab, or Ahab and Jezebel. We think about men and women, or man and woman of great power. And here is the thing that can happen, invariably often happens. Powerful people acquire one thing after another, but there's never really any satisfaction in their acquisitions. We've got this, but now we want that. We've got now, we've got that, and now we want more. And that seems to be the storyline of Ahab and Jezebel. Here they are, a simple herb garden outside of the kingdom's palace. The palace wasn't enough. Now I want this. The king wanted Naboth's vineyard. All because he coveted a garden that was convenient for him. This seems like a place of convenience for me. Amen. But the last of the Ten Commandments says this. Thou shalt not covet. Amen. And so Ahab, what you need to do is just go back to the fundamentals of it all. The Bible says thou shalt not covet. Don't look down from your lofty wall of the palace and see what you don't have. You need to look around you and see what you do have. I believe that I'm preaching to people today that have been mightily blessed of God. Are there some missing equations in our lives? Perhaps. But when I look around and I think of the goodness of Jesus... When I see the goodness of the Lord, when I experience the goodness of the Lord, 
Amen. I can't, fo- I can't focus on what I don't have because my mind and my eyes are too focused on what God has given me. Hallelujah. I don't want to look at what's missing. I want to look at what's there. God has been so good to me. Amen. Perhaps this law, perhaps this commandment, thou shalt not covet. Maybe that's one of the most difficult of all the Ten Commandments, especially in the day in which we live. Even more concerning is the fact that a covetous heart often leads us to obey, disobey all of the other commandments because it begins to mark them out or cancel them out one by one. The first few commandments focus on the forbidden outward conduct, making idols, worshiping idols, stealing, murdering, and the list goes on and on. But this commandment, this final commandment, deals primarily with the hidden desires of the heart. And so I ask you this morning, which voice will you hear? I'm not asking us to deal with those things on the outside. Amen. Those things that are so apparent. But I'm asking us to listen to the voice of God that is trying to do something with our heart. Amen. God wants to draw us closer in our heart and in our mind. Let our affections be set on Him. Let our thoughts be set on Him. Let our hopes be anchored in Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I got to worry about what's going on in my mind. I got to worry about what I'm letting in my heart. I've got to worry about what I'm letting in the gateway of my soul through my eyes and my ears and I say Lord help me to have a clean spirit renew in me a right spirit renew in me a clean heart wash me again oh God wash me again wash me again I don't want to be a facade I don't want to just look the part I don't want to play the part I want to be the part in the quiet of my relationship with God, in the stillness of when no one is there and no one is looking around. I will tell you that it is imperative that I and that you are mindful of the voices that we hear. Oh, the noise of our world, the noise of the day in which we're living in. If you want counsel, you can find somebody to tell you whatever you want to hear. If you want to do something, you can find somebody somewhere that will agree with you. Amen. Amen. You can, we're living in a warped society. We're living in a warped world. And so no matter how outlandish the thing that crosses your mind to do, you could probably find somebody that would think that's a good idea. But I'm asking us today, which voice will we hear? Will we hear the voice of reason? Will we hear the word of God? Will we hear the voice of the Lord? Amen. And then when we hear that voice, which voice will we obey? Oh, help us. Help us, Lord. He was on this commandment that the wealthy young ruler in the New Testament refused to acknowledge when he looked into the mirror of the law. These, all these things I've done. But I don't know if I can give up what God has given me or what life has given me. Ahab, Ahab seemed to mask his covetousness. Amen. By first offering to buy the vineyard. He said, I'll, I'll buy this from you. I'll give you what it's worth. Or if that doesn't sound good to you, then I'll trade it to you for another piece of property. That all seems innocent. If we just read this, it seems like a very innocent business deal, business transaction. 
It all seems so fair. On the surface, it all seems so reasonable. However, Naboth wasn't worried about a deed transfer. Naboth wasn't worried about an electronic deposit in his bank account. Naboth was worried about obeying God's word. Because Naboth understood, amen, this is not about the king. And this is not about making money. And this is not about transferring the property. Naboth understood one thing. Oh, king, this land is not mine to sell. It is not mine to barter. It is not mine to trade. Amen, when the enemy comes along and tries to swap out something in our spirit amen and say I think you ought to do this or I think you ought to do that I believe we ought to have the spirit of Naboth to say I want you to know this Holy Ghost that I have the world didn't give it the world can't take it away it's not up for sale it's not up for trade it's not up for barter I'm not here to negotiate I'm not here to talk about backing up. I'm not here to talk about backing away. Amen. There's voices in our world today. There are voices in our world today that said it wouldn't matter a little bit over here. It wouldn't matter a little bit over there. But I believe we need to have something, the spirit of Naboth, resident in our heart that says it does matter because it's not just about this decision. But it's about what this decision is going to lead to. It's about where this turn will ultimately take me. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands. Naboth understood this is God's land. And he understood that it, whatever I have is just on loan from God. Amen. On loan from God. God had loaned it to him to enjoy as long as he obeyed his covenant. But Naboth also understood the, Le- the Levitical law that we can find in Leviticus 25, that all property had to be kept in the family. This is not mine to trade. But Ahab knew this. This meant that Naboth was forbidden to sell the land even to the king. So the Bible talks about Ahab going home, pouting because he's unable to barter or buy the vineyard of Naboth. And as I said earlier, this certainly doesn't seem like something that a king would do. The ninth commandment, the ninth commandment, again, these fundamentals. So thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. This commandment emphasizes the importance of speaking the truth. Amen. Whatever happened to truth. This commandment emphasizes, it underlines, it highlights, it puts in bold the value of speaking truth. This is not only done in seasons of convenience, but it's speaking truth at all times. Are you ready for this? Psalms 15 and 4. David said that we would swear to our own hurt. Amen. Many parents in this house, including ourselves, told our son as he was growing up, tell the truth. Even if it goes against you, tell the truth. You still may be in trouble, but it won't be nearly as much trouble if we find out that you're lying. Amen. So tell the truth. Swear to your own hurt. 
Amen. You can be seated. <laughs> Swear to our own hurt. We're going to do what's right even if it goes against me. I'm going to do what's right even if it costs me some time. If it costs me some money. Amen. I'm going to swear to my own hurt. Because we understand the value of truth. Truth is the cement. Truth is the adhesive that holds societies together. I can't underline it enough. What would happen if we just as as a nation... If, if in the morning or tonight or today at noon, by the stroke of noon, this nation said we're never going to tell another lie, we're never going to be deceptive, we're never going to tell another half-truth, which is a half-truth is a whole lie, but we're, never, we're, all, we're just going to do business and we're going to all be honest and we won't need 47 pages of a contract just to keep everybody on the right page. Hey, I'm talking about a nation that that years ago, decades ago, men shook hands on multi-million dollar deals. Nothing was written down. You know why? Because that man knew he was telling the truth and this man knew he was telling the truth. It wouldn't matter. Amen. Sam Walton was one of those men who sent his attorney team home after one transaction almost with bleeding ulcers. They couldn't believe that he shook hands on a multi-million dollar deal. But you can do that when truth is at the core. You can do that when truth is at the center of who we are. Amen. But when truth is removed, oh my, everything starts to fall apart. And so now we have Jezebel, this stubborn woman, Many years ago, some of you may have heard this, but many years ago, my, my wife, my uncle had given my wife a donkey, a male donkey, and Brother Joel Alexander attends a church in Ocala, and his mom, his mom and dad, they have horses and all sorts of things, and they use a lot of donkeys to help train their horses, and so my wife had seen Brother Alexander's father, we were all at a wedding together, she was talking about her donkey, she said, I want to get a female donkey. And so that was, that was all that was said. It was really an innocent conversation. One day our phone rings randomly. It's Brother Alexander's dad. He's coming from Louisiana to Ocala to bring some horses and some donkeys to his son. And he says, Sister Boyd, I've got a Jenny, and I want to know if you want her. And, oh, she was just thrilled, just absolutely ecstatic. Amen. Some ladies want diamonds. trips to Europe, 10-day Alaskan cruises. I'm feeling pretty good. She's ecstatic because we're getting a free donkey. So he comes by our house, and he unloads this donkey, and she is wild-eyed. I mean, she's crazy. And I'm thinking, well, she's just kind of looking like this and acting like this because she's just been in a trailer since... Louisiana, everything will be all right. And he unloaded that crazy donkey and said, by the way, her name is Jezebel. I'm telling a true story. That was the meanest, most ornery. I was never so glad we had her for several years. And here's the sad thing. She had several babies and every one of them was just as mean as she was. And the old male donkey that we had, he was just as docile and kind. And 
when we just could not pre-produce that kindness, no matter what, you got to watch Jezebel. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You got to watch Jezebel. Well, enough of that. Amen. But Jezebel was a woman who never allowed the truth to stand in the way of what she wanted. We'll tell this like we need to tell it. We'll massage this story into something that will be believable. So she fabricated a lie. Now watch this. I'm not reading all these scriptures for the sake of time. But she fabricated a lie on an, an official lie on official stationery. And she sealed it with an official steel, seal. This is what Jezebel did. But no amount of royal adornment could change the fact that she was breaking God's law. You can write down something that sounds official. And you can write it down on an official document. And you can seal it with a king's ring. But when it is against God, it is not going to work. Amen. It will not work. It is important to note, I think it's important to note here that, that Jezebel came from uh, Phoenicia. And so what I, what, the reason I bring this to light is because her upbringing, her background, it gave her a, a, a Gentile view of kingship. And so, and, and so this would include this, that, that when Ahab, he, you know, he went to, I'm not saying that he should have went home and pouted, but Ahab was more tenderhearted and more understanding. But Jezebel come, came from uh, a, a different, she looked at this kingship through a different prism. She looked at kingship and positions and titles as though it really were something that made him more important. Or made him a man that you get what you want no matter how and no matter who you have to run over to get it. Amen. Using your authority. She was trying to tell him, you use your authority to take care of yourself. Don't worry about the little guy. Don't worry about somebody losing their posterity. Don't worry about somebody losing their inheritance. But you see, we are standing right in the middle. I know, I know today for some of you, you think we're standing in the middle of a vineyard. But we're not standing just in the middle of a vineyard. We're standing right now in the middle of a prophecy unfolding. We're standing in the middle of a prophecy coming to pass. Because when the Lord, amen, through Samuel, began to warn the people, they said, give us a king because we want to be like other nations. Give us a king because we want to be like everybody else. And 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse number 14 says, amen, Samuel said, well, if you want a king, a king is going to be what you get. But you remember this, amen, the king is going to take your fields and the king is going to take your vineyards and the king is going to take your olive yards. Amen, the king is going to take the best of them. And when it's all said and done, the king is going to take the best of your servants. Amen, you can't go against God and win. You hear me today? Amen. Hear me this morning. You can't go against God and win. Jesus himself even cautioned his disciples not to follow that philosophy of governing. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 20, they were told, amen, the disciples when they were commissioned, now listen to me, they were in charge. Amen, they were God's voice. But the Lord told them, you need to serve these people in love. You need to serve them in love. And you need to serve them with honor. Serve them. And so a true leader, I believe, uses authority to build up people. Hear me today. 
a true leader will use their authority to build people up when a dictator will use people to build his own authority hallelujah and so I say God give us true leaders that will lead us in love preach the truth in love live the truth in love live by example but do it in love and not use people to build our own authority Jezebel She's even trying to kind of throw a little religious paint on this situation. Jezebel, she said, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to proclaim a fast. Well, how sweet. We're going to proclaim a fast. We're going to fast about this that God has already said, you're not going to do this. It won't win. You won't win. She thought to sugarcoat her scheme with just something religious. We'll tack a scripture to this. We'll put a little verse on this. We'll make this sound spiritual. But I'm going to tell you, no matter how legal or no matter how spiritual a royal proclamation may have looked in the sight of God, it was a lie when it started. It was a lie in the middle. And it was a lie at the end. And at the end, God, is going to judge all liars. The Bible says they're going to have their own place in hell. That's what the Bible says about liars. And then Solomon in Proverbs 6 and verse 16, the Bible says, These six things doth the Lord hate. My, I'm going to tell you when I begin to read through the scripture and I read about things that are an abomination to God, God has my attention. When I read about things that God hates, God has my attention. He said six things that the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceiveth wicked, devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift running to mischief, a false witness that spreads lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. And so if we were just to break down all of these seven things that God hates, it seems like everything God hated Ahab and Jezebel had going on in this season of their life. Amen. Everything that God poured, here they are. They're neck deep in all of these things. Jezebel's accusations were false. Her witnesses were all liars. And the judges had been bought off by royal intimidation. This was the abuse of power at its finest. In verse 10. Verse 10 we read something interesting. The Bible says that they set two men. Who the scripture refers to as sons of Belial. Before him. To witness against him. And these two men said. Thou that Thou didst blaspheme God and the king. And with, the, with that, and with that, with that witness against them from the sons of Belial, the Bible says they carried him out and they stoned him. Amen. Now, the Bible is very intentional about calling these men sons of Belial. In that day, just as in ours, and in every city, there were and there are men of Belial. Men of Belial. If we were in the most straightforward fashion to give a biblical definition to men's of Belial, men's, to give a definition to men's of Belial, it would simply be this worthless fellows. <laughs> I'm being honest. Sons of Belial. That sounds pretty slick. But they were just worthless fellows. Two worthless fellows. And they were the ones that went and witnessed against Ahab. Two worthless men that could be bought. 
Mm. These men would do anything for money or anything for a title. Anything to seem important for a season. Don't forget something about important about this narrative. And that is this. That of all the things that happen from the first few verses down in this entire story. There's only three people that know the truth. There's only three people that really know the truth. <laughs> Naboth, Ahab, and Jezebel. Because from then on, they started lying. And the next, as you know, they have gotten together a judge and a jury. Mm. And nobody really knew the truth. Everyone was basing every action solely upon the words of Naboth or Ahab and Jezebel. In verses 14, 15, and 16, we see the aftermath of weak rulers. They followed Jezebel's orders. I'm, I want to remind you that Ahab was the king. Ahab was the king, but they followed Jezebel's orders. They conducted an illegal trial. And then in 2 Kings 9 and 26, the Bible says that they took Naboth. This is very important to hear. That they took Naboth and his two sons outside of the city and stoned them. Amen. They didn't just kill Naboth. They killed his seed. Naboth was intentional. Amen. I mean, Ahab was intentional about destroying the seed that would follow Naboth. But now, nobody in the family was alive who could inherit this land. And, and this left Ahab feeling as though he's just free to take it. Everything's all's well that ends well, right? I think it's interesting that one of the officers noted, one of the, one of the officers rather notified Jezebel that Ahab was dead, or that Naboth was dead. Amen. They went to her. Do you see how out of line this is? They, they listened to her. They believed her. And when the dirty deed was done, they reported back to her. Where was the king in all of this? Amen. But the land didn't belong to Ahab. And, and Exodus 20 and 15 says, Thou shalt not steal. In all reality, the vineyard didn't even belong to Naboth. It belonged to God. And so Ahab was guilty of not taking Naboth's vineyard. I know that's how we put it, but he really took God's vineyard. And so if ever two people were guilty of blaspheming God and breaking his laws, it was Ahab and Jezebel, and judgment was about to fall. And I will ask our musicians to come, if you will. If we were to read 1 Kings 21 and verses 16 through 29, we would see really the sentence that was passed upon them. So what do we do now? We've got all these lies, all these royal documents signed and sealed and delivered. And now we've got sons of Belial, these worthless fellows that have come and held a kangaroo court, a mock trial. And now they have taken Naboth and his sons and they have killed them. And, and so it's over. This dastardly deed, the seed has been snuffed out. But we can't forget the word of God. Because that little minor prophet, Amos 3 and 7, 
Amos says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto the ser- his servants, the prophets. God was going to talk to his man. And God was going to tell his man what was really going on. Now we haven't heard anything from or we haven't heard anything about Elijah for a long time. But now God brings him out of the shadows. And he brings his servant to center stage. And he's not there for a visit. But Elijah has come to confront the king. And as he always does when given an assignment, he told Elijah just what to say. And he said, Ahab, you have shed innocent blood. And because of this, this guilty blood, he said, your blood is going to be licked up by dogs. You thought you got by with this. You thought this is all said and done. Mm-mm. Previously, Ahab called. This is what Ahab referred to Elijah as. He, re- he referred to Elijah as the troubler of Israel. Think about that now. God's voice, God's prophet, the troubler of Israel. But now he makes it even more personal, and he calls Elijah his enemy. Can I tell you this morning, not because I'm the preacher, but the preacher's not the troubler, and the preacher's not the enemy. Don't ever, don't ever let something get in your heart against somebody standing behind a sacred desk like this and reaching with every fiber of their soul. Amen. When he saw Elijah coming, here comes the troubler. Here comes the troubler. Here comes my enemy. No, no, that's not what we ought to be saying. Amen. The Bible talks about how beautiful the feet are of they that, that deliver. Amen. Distribute the gospel. Praise the Lord. I'm not trying to feather my nest today. I hope you trust me enough to know that. But I'm telling you, when we see somebody stand to the pulpit, we shouldn't say, well, here comes a troubler, or here comes problems, or here comes my enemy. Oh, no, it's a sad day when you consider the mouthpiece of God to be trouble or to be an enemy. Amen. I believe when somebody walks to the desk and opens that Bible, and they're anointed of God and commissioned of God and sent of God, I believe we ought to slide to the edge of our seat and say, Heavenly Father, let my heart be right to receive this word. And let my ears be open to hear this word. Let my eyes be open to see this word. Praise God. Praise God. I'll ask you to stand with me if you will. In the end, he brought upon himself the sentence that Elijah pronounced. Ahab would die a dishonorable death and the dogs would lick up his blood. Jezebel would die. What a horrible death. Cast down. Amen. Have been eaten by dogs. And all of their posterity would eventually be eradicated from the land. You thought you were doing away with Naboth. Mm -mm. You did away with yourself. You thought you were going to destroy his seed. But what you really did is destroy your own seed. Because Ahab listened to the wrong voice. In a moment of despair, in a moment of discouragement, Ahab listened to the voice of Jezebel that said, Rise and eat. Clean yourself up. I'll take care of this. Ahab ultimately was slain in the battlefield and the dogs licked up his blood at the pool of Samaria. Amen. It didn't happen overnight. But just because something doesn't happen overnight, doesn't mean it's not going to happen. 
Amen. Just like Elijah prophesied. Later events prove that Ahab's repentance was really just shortly of whatever he felt in his heart. Amen. But I will tell you today, I don't want to just say something that I'm sorry with my lips. But I want to get my heart right with God. I don't want the wrong voice to have dominion in my life. I don't want the wrong voice to have dominion in my spirit. Oh, help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. I wonder if we could just worship the Lord. Amen. You can come to the front, make an altar where you are, whatever you feel to do. But of all the voices that are in our world bidding for our time and bidding for our attention, oh, Lord, let us hear the right voice. Asking myself, which voice will I hear? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.